Father, we thank you for your grace and for your mercy. How unsearchable are your wisdom and your ways are past finding out. Lord, your scripture said, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has given to him that it might be recompensed unto him again? For of you and to you and through you are all things to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Lord, we stand in awe of the goodness and the greatness of who you are and your sovereignty. In the midst of darkness and despair, Lord, there is a strong tower where we can run to and find comfort and shelter in this time of need. We come to you today, Lord. May your word saturate the fibers of our being, that every, every part of our mind, our heart, our soul be filled with you and with a greater knowledge of you that we may be ushered into your presence to know that you have all things in your hand. Nothing escape out of your view. You see everything, even in the depths, Lord. Like the psalmist have said, if I make my bed in hell, lo, you are there. And I believe, Lord, in the lowest and the highest places that we hide, you are there. You are there with us, and you will be there. Even in the uttermost part of the sea, even there shall your hand lead us, and your right hand shall hold us. Teach us today. May your spirit give us the understanding and the unction, Lord, to convey this message to the world. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Small beginnings. My message today, let's open up to Zechariah. There are two prophets, two minor prophets in the Bible. If you have a physical Bible like this, it might be the first time for some of you to find the minor prophets, but the minor prophets are behind the major prophets. They are minor not because they're small. They're minor because they have written fewer words than the major prophets. It doesn't mean that they are less important. It just means that they didn't write a lot. Two prophets in the time of reconstruction of the second temple. Haggai and Zechariah are the two prophets in the time of reconstructing the second temple. The, the Old Testament shadows the New Testament. The Old Testament tells what the New Testament will do. The Old Testament is the type of Christ, and the New Testament is the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to talk about the second temple. The second temple is the temple that follows the first temple, and the first temple is the temple of Solomon. So when you read in Zechariah, you will hear about the first temple, and you will hear about the second temple. The first temple is made by man. The second temple is made by God, or under the directive of God. The Old Testament is the shadow, and the New Testament is the spiritual. The Old Testament is the flesh, and the New Testament is the spirit. The prophet Zechariah is one of the prophets that prophesied during the time of reconstructing the second temple. We know that King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed the first temple. Jerusalem Temple of Solomon was destroyed completely. There's no trace of it at all. There's no remnant of it at all because the, the second temple was built on top of the first temple. However, the spiritual is not an exact replica, replication of the shadow. It is an illustration. The shadow is an illustration. Just like your shadow is not the exact representation of the real thing. It just it has a form. So there are some discrepancies that you will see in the shadow and in the real thing, and that's okay. That's intended. Now, the second temple was built by a governor, and his name is Zerubbabel. Zechariah chapter 4. For who has despised the day of small things? 
for they shall rejoice and shall see the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel with those seven. They are the eyes of the Lord which run to and fro throughout the whole earth. First of all, what is a plummet? A plummet is a measuring device. It's made out of iron and some type of clay, or in other translation, a plumb line. It is used to measure. When you measure something, it's finished. So this is an allusion to the temple will be finished. The construction will finish. Why is this prophecy or this vision given to Zerubbabel? It was given to Zerubbabel because the people of God in captivity, they rule Jerusalem. They uh, gathered together and they formed their own community. And they were ruled by people who have authority and power. And Zerubbabel was given the authority to rebuild the temple. And these people, the, the elites of the time, at the time, did not want him to rebuild the temple. So they, they want to uh, not to, to leave things as they are. The status quo has always been and will always be the modus operandi of how we live as a society. The, the plummet is the measuring device, which means that the angel is telling Zerubbabel, it will finish. This project will finish, even though there are all these naysayers out there who speak against the rebuilding of the temple. It will finish. And the second part of this says that those seven, who are those seven? The seven are the witnesses. There are many interpretations of what the sevens are, but right here in the word, we just stick to that. They are the eyes of the Lord run to and fro the whole earth. The eyes of God are watching. Everything we do here, everything we do in secret, everything that's going on in our lives and outside our lives, God is aware of all things. God is a God who watches and sees all things. These are the seven lamps of God in Revelation that speaks about the, the eyes of the Lord watching everything. That would give comfort to those who depend on the Lord, but that also will send those who are obstructing God's justice or God's work. You should be afraid because the eyes of the Lord are everywhere, watching all things and seeing things to completion. This is a prophecy. What is a prophecy? It is what God said and what will happen. And we, will know, we know that this will happen because he finished this, the rebuilding. I want us to focus on the beginning of this verse. And that is verse 10. For who hath despised the day of small things? Everything starts small. Every great thing has a beginning and every beginning is small. And oftentimes, we enter into something that's already done and finished, and we enjoy its magnificence. The Grand Canyon. You come there, you behold this majestic gorge, this canyon that has been built by God. In the beginning, it was just a ditch, a small ditch. Water fell down and created a little ravine. And over the course of 65 million years, formed, it's not that long, it formed this Grand Canyon. Everything starts small. It's just our mind gravitate toward the, the end of a thing rather than the beginning. But if we pull back and look at the beginning, nothing is built unless someone is willing to make the sacrifice and start small. So I want us to think small today. I want us to look at the planes rather than the finished construction. 
I want us to look at the possibility of what God will do rather than what God has done because greater things he has promised that he will do in the latter day than in the former days. So let's think about the reconstruction of this church, of our fellowship here. Think about the reconstruction of our own lives. We can start over, and every restart requires us to think small and believe. We must believe. If you enter into something that is finished, you did not play a part in it. You inherited it. You did not start it. But God wants us to be part of the construction. God wants us to be part of the creative effort, but every creative effort starts small. It does not start as a complete project. The rebuilding of the temple starts because the temple that was there was destroyed. Everything that is built will be destroyed. That's the nature of life. The, the thing that you imagine today will be built tomorrow, it will be destroyed. A statue created for years in the 4th through the 6th century, it took three weeks for the Taliban to blow it up. Every great monument, every great thing is built and then destroyed in an instant. It takes a long time to build, but it takes just one word by one person to destroy the entire organization. When we have that in mind, we, we need to believe in what we are building is eternal. And that's our drive today, is to know what to build and what not to build. Because everything that's built that is not of God will be destroyed. When I say destroy, I mean destroy eternally. Because there are things in the physical that God will destroy and will rebuild, just like the temple. To show the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. But what I want you to think about today is what are we building for the sake of eternity? Jesus says, seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's what we need to build. We need to build what's in the kingdom of God. If you look at some of these projects, from some of these building projects, you realize that there are small and mini constructions that people spend so much time constructing these scaffoldings. They are constructed, and they are constructed. They took many manpower to construct for the purpose of building the building itself, the construction itself. And then those little projects will get destroyed because that is used to build the bigger construction. So think in terms of the scope and scale of eternity. That's what we're building. And there are things in which we will build in this life, such as our lives, are stepping stones to build this kingdom of God. So think of, of it in that sense. I want us to go back and look at the prophet Haggai. Haggai is a prophet before Zechariah. So one prophet before Zechariah in terms of the book. Chapter 2, verse 3. Who is left among you that saw this house in her first glory? Now, think about this. Haggai, the prophet, is looking at the ruin and said, How many of you have seen this before it is this rubble? And how do ye see it now? Is it not? in your eyes, in comparison of it as nothing. Meaning, if you look at this rubble, the remnant of what was glorious, is it not now in your eyes look despicable? Do you not despise it? Do you, in your mind, are you giving up? Are you saying, no way, we cannot build what Solomon built. No way the second temple will be glorious as the first temple. We don't have Solomon here. And you know what? When Solomon built that temple, it was the time of peace. Now, it's a time of ruin. 
We don't even have a country, let alone someone who has the resources to build this house. People were looking at this house lay in ruin. The temple that Solomon had built was regal and magnificent. The inner courtroom, the inner sanctum is made of gold. Every object in there is laid perfectly and neatly. The construction of the temple happened somewhere else. They used the hammer and the saw, if they have saw, the chisel, um, whatever tools they use, they use it outside. They construct it and then they carry it and they put it together. There's no noise being you know, produced at the production of this first temple. It was magnificent. And in its splendor, the glory of God is its brilliance. Not only it was magnificent, God was there. When King Solomon dedicated the temple, God filled it. God filled the temple with his presence. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 1 through 3. Now when Solomon had made an end of praying, this is the dedication of the temple, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices and the glory of the Lord filled the house. And the priests could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. And when all the children of Israel saw how the fire came down and the glory of the Lord upon the house, they bowed themselves with their faces to the ground upon the pavement and worship and praised the Lord, saying, For he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. I want us to imagine that, that visual. When God filled the house, the glory, the tangible glory of God was there. People could not enter. They, they were all set up to enter into the temple, and they could not because God's glory was there. And all they could do was they got on their knees, and they put their faces to the ground, to the pavement, and they worshiped God. You know, the, the act of God's glory is immense. The glory of God is real. If you read anything in the Old Testament, you realize that God has a physical presence in our midst. And when his glory is here, it fills up this tangible place. How? I don't know. But I know metaphysically it's possible. It's possible that the glory of God's here. And Solomon used choice wood from Lebanon, you remember, and limestone, granite, marbles, onyx stones, iron, brass, all sorts of material. And he even shipped the gold from Ophir. It's exquisite. And he shipped them all to Jerusalem to construct this house. It is a testament of man's glory to honor God. We are the instruments in which God will use to usher in his glory. The temple was there so that God's glory can exhibit his magnificence. The first temple was made, however, with human hands. The first temple was an attempt to show the world the splendor and majesty of God through the hands of man. And in human hands, it was destroyed. Nebuchadnezzar swept through and the temple laid in waste. Years in building, just gone. Isaiah has this to say about the temple. Chapter 64, verse 11. A holy and beautiful house where our fathers praise thee is burnt up with fire. And all our pleasant things are laid in waste. It was the fire of God that gave it its magnificence. It's a fire of man that consume it in ruin. Solomon's temple was the allegorical representation of our lives. You see, God built us from the ground, from the earth, and made us into his image. We were filled with his glory and his magnificence. At one time, God, the Almighty, gave us the 
the sense of eternity in us. And through sin, we destroyed it. In the hands of man, we reach out. We take what was forbidden. And sin destroys the sacred and holy temple that God has built. And so our constitution and our lives are destroyed by sin. And the first temple that came from Adam now lay in ruins. The second temple, however, is not built the same way as the first temple. The second temple, however, was the original design, not the first temple. God has already ordained the, fir- the second temple to be when the first temple was destroyed. Realize this. If God did not allow the first temple to be destroyed, it would not be destroyed. It was God who ordained and prophesied through the prophet Jeremiah, this temple will be destroyed. And like Jeremiah today, when the prophecy comes out to tell you what God would do, people will resist. And they didn't like what Jeremiah was saying. So they persecuted him. They beat him. They thrown him into a pit. But the word of God will stand. God preserved Jeremiah. If you speak the word of God, if you say true, and even if you don't understand, now Jeremiah did not understand why God will destroy this magnificent project that Solomon has built. But God said, I will allow Nebuchadnezzar to destroy this place. That is my plan. So that the second temple will be built. Again, in Haggai chapter 2, verse 9, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than of the former. Talking about this latter house, this house that will be built by Zerubbabel will be more glorious, will be greater than the former that was built by Solomon. Now, if you're still wondering, Zerubbabel is, is the last of the lineage of the king of Israel in the line of David in which the Lord Jesus Christ will be from. So Zerubbabel is the name that you should, you should remember. The glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace. Here's the promise, saith the Lord of hosts. In this place will I give peace. The first temple that Solomon built was built in the city of peace. Jerusalem is the city of peace. That's what the name implies. Listen to what Haggai is saying. Now, if you are a, an Israelite, you listen to this, you immediately get this connection. Because he said, Say, the glory of this latter house shall be greater than the former, saith the Lord hosts. And in this place, in this place, will I give peace. The latter house, the second house is not built in peace. The latter house is built with peace that is from within. That is the difference between the two houses. One is built inside the city of peace, and the other one has peace built in it. It is the place of peace. It is the production. It is the the place where peace of God will emanate from. Because with everything else, when you are in the place of peace, if you close the doors, peace cannot enter. But if peace is inside, it can emanate out as long as you keep the doors open. Zerubbabel, the governor of Judea, in 522 BCE, began to build, rebuild the temple. People did not like his construction or reconstruction. So they despised his endeavor, and they railed against him. Yet God gave him a promise. I will give this latter house my peace. He gave the, the promise of peace through Haggai. And Zechariah, the second temple, is said to be more glorious than the first. Now, if you look back in history, you look at the temple. We, we never see the temple of Solomon. But have you ever seen, have you ever seen the, the second temple that's built by Zerubbabel? 
I don't think any of us have seen it. I see pictures of it. I've never seen it. And I think a lot of us don't even care to find out what it looks like. But is God wrong when he said the second temple will be more glorious, will be greater? We all heard about the first temple, but we rarely ever hear about the second temple. So was God wrong to say that the second house is more glorious than the first? How come we don't see a more magnificent structure of the second temple? God must be not talking about the physical temple. It is a shadow of the thing to come. What is he talking about then? God is talking about you. God is talking about us. God is talking about the temple that's not built by human hands. God is not talking about a physical place. God is talking about the temple in which the spirit of peace resides. You. The glory. The hands that made all these things that we stand in awe. And our jaw drops and we see these, these projects. God's talking about you. The peace of God rules within this house. Now let's look at Zechariah chapter 4 verse 6. Let's look at the promise of God. God promised the rebuilding of this temple would not be made by human hands. This is the word of the Lord unto Zerubbabel, saying, Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord. It is not the second temple built by the hands of Zerubbabel, or his workers, that God is talking about. God made a promise. It is by his spirit that the second temple will be rebuilt. The Almighty has laid the cornerstone of the second house. That cornerstone is the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the cornerstone in which the second temple will be built, and it is, will be more glorious than the former house. Jesus Christ started the reconstruction with his life, his death, and his resurrection. That was the inception of the second temple. The Holy Spirit will carry out the construction until the end. And here is what he has promised. Philippians chapter 1, verse 6. Be confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. The second temple is you. We are the, the lively stones in which God used to put us together with the cornerstone, who is the Lord Jesus Christ. We will come together, and in the end, the Holy Spirit is the one who put this construction together. The second house, the second temple will be more glorious than the former, speaking about Adam. Jesus Christ, the second Adam, the second construction of God's glory will be more glorious. The rebuilding of the second house will, not, will start very small. It will be insignificant, and men will try to destroy it, just like in the time of Zerubbabel. When Jesus Christ was born, King Herod, Kill all of the children looking to kill this cornerstone, this starting project. But God did not allow it. The initial reconstruction of God's house was very small. It was insignificant. He had a humble, very humble beginning. The construction of the spiritual house. Solomon and Adam was, was the, type, the shadow and the type of the, the natural house. The Lord Jesus Christ, the second temple and the Lord Jesus Christ is the shadow and the type of the spiritual house. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You are lively stones, are built up a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, offer up 
spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. We are the spiritual house. Not we individually are spiritual houses. We as a church is one spiritual house. We are lively stones putting together to build this spiritual house. Since the foundation of the world, God has ordained this house to be built. And this house cannot be built by the prophecy of the Old Testament and the word of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. He said that this house will be destroyed. He spoke the temple that Herod built, the third temple, and also his own house. And he said in three days, it will be rebuilt. The church is the Lord's body. Every member is a building block within this construction. The cornerstone is the Lord Jesus Christ. When we come together, this spiritual house will be built. How did it start? Walk with me through the beginning of this project. It started very small. Luke chapter 2, verse 7. And she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Very, very small. The beginning of God's glory started out extremely humble and very small. Unadorned, subdued, simple was his beginning. He started life without a proper place to lay his head. You follow his life, you see his humble beginning, his ministry, and then it ends. Does it, did it end? It ended, right? At the cross. What glory? What majesty? What honor? Even they, on the cross, they stripped him of his garment. And the only piece of article that he owns, they ripped it apart and divided it among themselves. And then that naked man hung on the pole that we all see. I don't believe that our life is the beginning and the end of our existence. It wasn't for Jesus. If it was, then he failed. He failed badly. It is not the beginning when you take your first breath and your last, that constitutes your whole life. It isn't. We are just a blimp, just a blip, a small, tiny, insignificant. This life is in the course of eternity. We're just a speck. Let your mind wrap around something that's much bigger than all this. You think this earth is big? Get outside of it and see. We're just tiny little speck in the scope, even in this solar system. And if you go out of the solar system, in this galaxy, you can't see us. And if you go out, back out even more to the superclusters, where's the Milky Way? If you go back out even further, you have, we have no idea how small we are. And yet, in this little tiny confinement, we say, wow, life is long. It is not long. It is very short in comparison to eternity. If you think that this middle part between your first breath and your last breath is all that is to it, then Jesus Christ is not part of your construction. We are much bigger than that. Jesus Christ is eternal. This life and this existence is only a tiny little blip in God's history. And we are deceived if we believe that we will see some kind of glory in this life. I'm not looking for any glory in this life. I am looking at the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our mind should be. The construction in this life, our life from the beginning to the end, is the stepping stones in which we will see the latter house in the end when the Lord come back with his angels to take us into eternity. That's my hope. That is the glory that God has promised. But it starts very small. 
and it will be insignificant, but not until the end. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27. But God has chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty. The things that's small, the things that are insignificant, the people look at this, these band of brothers, 12 of them, so insignificant. The master is gone. We killed the master. They will be as well. They will be insignificant. Nothing will come of them. Let them be, one of their leaders said. Let them be. They will just fizzle out. They will die out. That's not what happened, was it? These 11 guys come together, pick a new guy, 12 guys, started to preach the gospel. They were beaten. They were dragged before magistrates. They were stoned. Paul was stoned, left to death at Iconium. And he got up. He said, I must preach the gospel. You can't keep these people down because their eyes and their heart is fixed on eternity. Not here. They look at you. They look at us. They look at the millennia after the dead and gone and see that's what I'm building. That's where my hope is. So God took these small bands of brothers and turned the world upside down through their persistence and their faith in the promise of God that the latter house will be more glorious than the former house. The second temple will not be destroyed because men tried to destroy Jesus Christ. In three days, he rose from the grave to said, you cannot destroy this because it is eternal. We have a hope in Jesus Christ that we are not destroyed when our flesh is gone, but we will be resurrected. The things that we build today, if, it is, if God allows 2,000 years later, it will perpetuate. It will continue. You are a part of this construction of God that has lasted over 2,000 years, beginning with the Lord Jesus Christ and the faithful who were with him. Nothing will put down this fire that God has built and light it up in the church. It will be around. It will be glorious. It might not be when you look at the martyrs, Stephen. He just came out of the gate and died. But his death gave rise to one of the most prominent disciples in all history, the Apostle Paul. Nothing is wasted with God. God had a plan. God has a plan. And that plan is built in Jesus Christ. And he will come again. He will come again. Don't despise the day of small things. Don't despise this tiny beginning. Because this seed that God has planted, it will grow and become glorious. Seek the kingdom of God. God promised to Zerubbabel to, be, to begin to build the temple. And God promised that the eyes, his eyes are on this project. The seven eyes of the Lord is on this project. God is the master builder. God is the one who will oversee the construction. He will see it until the end. Don't let the naysayer tell you, no, it won't work. Don't let yourself say it, no, it won't work. God sees this project and his church will be built and the gates of hell shall not prevail over it. Do not despise the days of small things. Jesus Christ built his church. It will be accomplished. Two small parables I want to give you. First is the mustard seed. The mustard seed is the parable about quality. The mustard seed is small. It is insignificant, the Lord says. When men looked at it, they can't even see it. The quality of the thing is not what you should judge it. It's not because it's small, it is insignificant or you despise it. Jesus says, put it on the, in the ground. And in the course of time, the birds of the air, the fowl of the air will build its nest on it. It will become monumental and it will become 
beneficial to all creatures larger than its humble beginning. God will use the small things to confound the wise and the proud. God will use the insignificant things to show you that it's not by might nor power, but by His Spirit, saith the Lord. The parable of the leaven, it is a parable about quantitativeness of a thing. How many, how much, the, how many things it has. The amount of leaven is very small. It's insignificant. We think we need to put a lot of things in our stuff to make it taste good. No, very small. But it has to be the right stuff. Leaven is the right stuff. Very small, hid in three meals or flowers, and then it causes the whole thing to rise. So qualitatively and quantitatively speaking, both of those things, when God say it, when God promise, when there is the Spirit of God, it will become great and significant. It will influence. The small leaven will significantly influence all of its surroundings. It causes everything to rise. So don't despise the days of small things. Don't despise it because you're small or you don't have enough. Don't despise because you don't have what other people have or you, you are, don't look like what other people look or you don't, you're not from a background that other people have. God will use it if there is a promise of God has placed upon you. The small things, what are they? 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 28 and 29. Again, continuing. He said, And the base things of the world and the things that are despised, God has chosen, yea, and things which are not to bring to not things that are, and no flesh should glory in his presence. The purpose of God is his glory. God wants to show his glory. And if we stand in the way of glory by our might and by our power, look at me, what I can do, then God will say, I'm not in it. My glory is sufficient for all things. His grace is sufficient in all things. When the apostle Paul, in his weakness, he said, only if I have power over this flesh, only if God gives me a little bit more power, only if my eyes can, can look better and when people look at me, they don't despise me because I look ugly. That's what the apostle Paul told the church at Galatians. I came to you looking ugly and in the beginning, you would have plucked out your eyes and gave them to me because you love me. And then he said, but now, the more I love you, the less I'm loved. Our, our love and our affection change how we behave and act. And we think that someone has to look a certain way for them to be of value. But God said, no, no, no. And Paul comes to the Lord and said, Lord, Lord could, you, could you help my infirmity? Can you, can you make me speak better? That's what he's saying. I have this thorn on my flesh. It bothers me. And when my speech is contemptible, meaning when he came to the people and he, he talked to them, they despised him because what he said, they said, ah, we don't understand. He talked about these things, but when he came, he, look at him. It doesn't look like anything. And the apostle Paul came to the Lord and said, God, could you help me, my infirmity? And this is the Lord's answer. My grace is sufficient. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in your weakness. In our weakness, in our weaknesses, God's glory will be revealed. God's glory will be shown. And that is his purpose. This is the construction of the second temple to show forth the glory of the Lord. And why? We got a glimpse of it in Solomon's temple. And Solomon, when he prayed and dedicated the temple, the glory of God, when it came into the temple, people could not stand. We don't want any glory from any human beings. We don't want to fall down to some statue. When you hear the cornet and music and the sound, 
No, you want to fall down because the glory of God is here. This is what we're after. Not my glory. Not someone else's. We want God's glory. The second temple will be built with glory. Not by human hands. So when we understand the magnitudes of God's grace for us, it's okay to be cursed. It's okay to be laughed at. The latter glory would be greater than the former glory. But if we don't, then we will be cursed by our arrogance and hubris. Embrace the small things. Continuing in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9, he says, Most gladly, therefore, Paul, in answering the Lord, I will rather glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest on me. Yes, it's okay. I am small. It's okay. I'm insignificant. It's okay that you look at me a certain way. It's fine. It's all okay because God's glory. Does it hurt? Yeah, it hurts. That the power of Christ may rest on me. That's my hope. That's my hope to you as we go through this life. People will hurt us. There are things that will make us weep and cry. But it's okay. God says his grace is sufficient in my weakness. I know that God is strong and his power is made perfect. Hold on to God's promise. That's the only thing that will sustain us. The glory of the second house will be more glorious than the first. Let's come to the Lord in prayer. How majestic is your love for us? How great and how deep it is. It's beyond what we can imagine or even words can even articulate. Lord, give us a sense of the eternity. Open our eyes that we would see and look into what you have prepared for us. Let us not despise the days of small beginnings. Let us not look and run to something that we perceive and behold that it is right and good. Let us go into the promises that you have made for us. That by your spirit, you will construct this house. And by your spirit, you construct our lives. And when we do come together, and humble ourselves in your presence. That you will show yourself to be more than what we have imagined. Your love, your grace, the hope that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ is more abundant than anything that we have ever imagined in this life. And may you be glorified in your church, Lord. And I believe that in the days to come, and when the, the times is rough, when people are stirred up against the project of God. May your spirit give us and remind us that promise again that you will build your church and the gates of hell cannot prevail over it. For we know, Lord, all things work together for the good to them that love God, to them who are the call according to his purpose. We are the call. We are the instruments in which God used. Lord, use us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen.